in the end, uh, it's not often fear, but it's just a lack of understanding, I think, that makes people behave that way. And actually, technology is a partner and an, and an asset. Uh, I firmly believe that. And, and not something to be feared or um, something to oppose. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Ishmael Makda, Advanced Workshop Director at Greytech. He's a construction industry veteran for over 20 years with a background in construction industry materials with a particular focus on digital tools and innovative transformation to make the world of construction meet the challenges of climate change and harnessing new technologies in the interest of efficiency. Welcome to the show, Ishmael. Thank you for having me, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. So I always love to, to get started with how you got into the, the construction industry to begin with. Oh, that's going back a fair, fair old time. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, when I think about my university education, I studied business. And after doing business and law and economics, um, the the uh, opportunity was what did I what would I do next and it was initially business but then I always had an interest in how things were built and and how things were made and put together just something I did from an early age um, mm -hmm. and I think where it started for me is um, on a summer holiday vacation I managed to get myself if I was being honest with you probably by accident <laughs> a job with a with a local construction firm uh, handling uh, building materials so everything from roof tiles bricks uh, sharp sand um, lintels and so on um, and yeah. through that um, summer vacation sort of job that I did um, I came into contact with a lot of builders um, and a lot of uh, company owners if you like who are involved in the world of construction and as you stock up their trucks and whatever it is you're doing for them you get talking and I I was always one to sort of ask a lot of questions and try and have a conversation sometimes just to pass the day right because it can get quite boring and uh, it just sparked my interest I thought to myself um, this is just wonderful the way these guys uh, go about um, their projects and some of the challenges that they talked about as well, uh, which uh, evidently are still with us even today, believe it or not. And uh, I just felt um, A, curiosity, and, and B, uh, just a sense of purpose that this, is, this was an industry that I wanted to take part in and uh, see if I could make a difference in my own little way. Um, so I, after that vacation, I... Well, during the vacation, actually, I applied to a much bigger construction firm. And uh, the rest, as I say, is history. <laughs> got an interview, yeah. got the job, um, and then went through all of the different um, staging levels um, in terms of all the different experiences I got. Um, and it just sort of gave me a bit of an insight into, first of all, handling materials, um, things like concrete and tarmac and recycling um, and then also understanding commercially how um, these things were um, a quarried 
uh, in uh, looking back now, it was horribly inefficient <laughs> and and dreadful to the environment. I think if I'm going back 20, 25 years, compared to where the conversation moved on now, um, and then yeah. and then somewhere along the the way, uh, technology started catching up. The world of BIM, certainly in the UK, really started to build a head of steam. Um, people, uh, partly driven by the government, partly by just the way the construction industry was were driven by a sense of modernization that we've got to get efficient, we've got to get better. Otherwise, this industry is just not going to be fit for purpose. And so then I ended up spending a lot of time in the world of digital software um, and building information modeling and learned a lot about the virtual environment and the virtual construction world. And this is where I think I also learned a lot about new technologies as well in the world of construction and the role that they can play mm-hmm. Um, and also learned a lot about people's fears as well. Uh, the, the fear and uncertainty people have towards uh, new tech. Uh, and I've been, because I've been around for that length of time, I've also seen how in the end, uh, it's not often fear, but it's just a lack of understanding, I think, that makes people behave that way. Sure. And actually, technology is a partner and an, and an asset. Uh, I firmly believe that. And, and not something to be feared or um, something to oppose is it, it, how I feel about it. Yeah. So let's press into that a, a bit because that refrain comes up quite a bit of the, the there's so much new tech coming into the industry and uncertainty creates that fear kind of instinctually. But how does technology and the, the human mind really work together in the, the partnership that it should be for the construction industry moving forward? So um, uh, I think the key word you just mentioned there, Todd, is uh, partnership. Um, it, there is a partnership to be had, and there is already a partnership that, that I would argue is, is in place. Uh, it's a different question how many people uh, apply that partnership and how many people sort of run away from it. But if you think about the, 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 you know, the human mind is the way you put it. You know, the human mind is very innovative. Um, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's full of um, great ideas, sometimes not very well thought through. But nevertheless, you have these sparks of brilliance that, that come through from people, which often lead to new and mod- modern methods of construction, uh, which is, I think, what sets the human mind apart uh, in its own sort of way from uh, technology and computers, because... I don't think computers are able, not yet anyway, to think in that manner for themselves and make that leap from one sort of way of thinking to a completely new way of thinking. I think that, for the time being, is still the preserve of human beings. But then you also look at our restrictions or our um, limitations, and what you find is we get tired, right? We can get hurt. We can get hurt on site. You know, in, I, I don't know about every part of the world, but certainly in the UK and I would say the, the Western world generally, health and safety is, is, is a big thing um, uh, on construction sites and, and, and rightly so. So we're doing everything we can to protect people uh, against getting hurt and having their limbs blown off and, and, and worse. And I think that, that sort of identifies some of the frailties of um, the way we um, we go to work and this is where I think um, technology can help so much because um, machines can 
I would argue that they don't need uh, a rest break. Okay, yes, they need to be maintained, but they ne- they don't need frequent breaks like human beings do. They d- they can work night mm. shifts and day shifts. They can work on on the top of very high bridges, um, where the, you know conditions might be treacherous and windy, and you know uh, if a machine gets blown off a bridge uh, because of a of a high wind you've probably saved a human being's life because that could have been a worker that might have been swept out to this to, to see uh, and so on so i think the partnership is about the the robots or the uh, technology filling in the the limitations we have as, as human beings and i've just given you a couple of examples there one other key area where i think um, technology is already massively helping is the way we consume data um if I put um, a thousand lines of text in front of you right now and asked you to read it, reflect on it, and give me your conclusions and do it in one minute, it might be pushing it. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the same for me. So you know, whether we like it or not, I don't think that's going to change. You know, We read, we absorb information in a certain way, um, and we need time to think. Um, and the thing with... Um, AI, for example, and machine learning. Uh, this, I think, is something that's so exciting. It's you've got um, these technologies and these computers that can absorb vast amounts of data. And you know, we, we call it big data, don't we? In a sort of friendly way, big data. But right. um, you've got these super sophisticated computers now that can just hoover up all the information concerning uh, job sites, um, whether it's to do materials, quantities. Um, um, work, worker processes, um, the um, the timescales involved, and they can literally absorb that data in seconds. And then the challenge is to present that back to human beings in a way that we can understand. Um, and you already have technologies which can save someone or, or a whole team of people a week's worth of uh, analysis, uh, uh, machines that can do that in an hour. Um, and the, and then right. present that back. So there's a partnership in action where it's for me it's a liberation. It's liberating and freeing us from doing the monotonous um, and 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 right. the repetitive. Um, I don't know about you, but I I don't like sitting by a computer doing something which is uh, repetitive and uninteresting. No, I agree. I, I think that the the tech coming in it allows the the human to get more creative which i'm a creative person by nature so i i think that's really exciting it, it takes away the kind of mundane task if you will and the the tech can handle all that part to free you up to think about the the bigger more uh you know problem solving aspects and really the the industry is full of great problem solvers because you have to be in construction there's always problems that you have to figure out how to overcome and the computer can kind of spit out potential scenarios but it takes a the human mind to really think through the the practicality of of those situations that the computer might come yeah for sure and um something that comes to mind which is really topical all over the world at the moment is the whole march towards um net zero and and the, the, you know the whole global warming um, situation um, here in the UK, we're having a summer like no other at the moment. Um, and you know, it's in a way, 
we were welcoming it because we thought, wow, you know, we're going to get um, really hot temperatures for weeks on end. Um, but then you're now seeing, you know, there's hardly any rainfall and hosepipe bands coming in and our reservoirs are drying up. And it sort of starts to make you think, hang on, this is actually quite serious now. And um, it, it, it's sort of coming home now. It really is. Um, even the skeptics are starting to think, well, actually, this is now real. So, again, you, you look at technology and um, a lot of the digital uh, models that architects and engineers are now working with, um, you've got um, the machines give you the capability to analyze. And this is really important. Um, we want to reduce carbon and the machines are actually uh, suggesting designs of buildings because we're still building, obviously, but the machines are suggesting what are the most carbon friendly options for a construction company to actually select. So it's giving us that power to make those choices uh, in a way which safeguards the planet. Uh, whereas um, if that capability wasn't in place, then you know you, you fear the same old, same old, where it gets reduced down to cost and your typical construction firms sit around the table and, and sort of go for the low-cost option. And <laughs> what, what, what that low-cost option might do to the planet um, is probably not worth looking at because it's probably the worst case scenario for um, the carbon um, generation. Whereas this kind of power now and this kind of data is giving people that uh, reliable information right up front, right at the outset. So they can make that informed choice if, if they truly believe in, in making a, a difference for, for the future of our world. So let's lean into that because there's a lot of trends in construction with, you know, you brought up big data, there's IoT, all the, the interconnectivity of systems and softwares coming together now. How does all that play practically into creating that sustainable future for construction? Uh, well, the um, I would say the technology is, is already here and, and still evolving and that will continue to evolve. And I think in terms of how it comes together, um, you, know, you, you definitely need um, champions um, in each industry. And I, I, I would argue even in each country, um, firms who are actually um, not just um, doing the talk, but walking the talk. And, you know, we have examples here in the UK of some really uh, awesome companies that, that are connecting things like drones, for example, together. Okay, and showing showing the way in terms of how they map out uh, job sites um, in order to reduce waste, for example. Okay, because um, the old-fashioned way was for people to sort of walk around with spreadsheets and um, other sort of data counting methods to try and understand on some of these really big job sites what's actually uh, available, what isn't, and then make poor decisions because the data that they've got is poor. Whereas now this sort of technology just sweeps across these entire um, job sites. And it, it's incredible how it scans so much so quickly. And then that is then connected to a suitable um, computer, which is often a cloud-based tool, because again, the cloud, which um, also we should mention, um, has also unleashed um, big data in a way that was un unimaginable probably 10 years ago. And so the amount of data now that can just be scooped up from sites um, right down to minuscule things uh, and then data dumped into cloud-based uh, tools. 
And then you have things like Power BI, um, data analytics, where you can then harness that data and get the machine itself to interpret it um, in order to then present. And I use it quite often myself because some of the data that I handle is is it's truly uh, it's truly vast. And so things like Power BI will present to me uh, the trends that are hiding behind that data. And I think that enables uh, builders um, or construction firms to actually use that um, reliable data to to make their decisions together. And that's another key thing as well. Um, previously, companies, and I say previously, we're not, we're not sort of uh, completely divorced from this yet, but companies operate independently within a construction cycle. And then each company does its bit and then hands over its um, execution document or sign off to the next company in a linear fashion. But every time that happens, the company that inherits that stage of production or, or the construction process, they tend to look at the data, things are missing, and then they start again. Uh, and then and then they rehash and rework things. And we haven't got away from that yet. Yeah, that is still in large part how things work. Whereas what this technology promises is um, collaboration like we couldn't imagine before. It does require human will, though, to agree to work that way. Um, but with this kind yeah, of... That's a big yeah, condition. Yeah, it is a big condition <laughs> because, unfortunately, humans have <laughs> other agendas and sometimes companies simply do not want to work together because they feel that it's like giving their secrets away, for example. So it does require mindset change as well. But certainly the tools with the cloud, with the connectivity, mean that you can connect people from offices to factories to sites from one country to another, from one continent to another, because the cloud and the speed of the cloud enables that sort of real-time working. You know, people can um, manufacture um, an element for a, um, a job site and they can do it virtually. They can literally wear a headset like a HoloLens unit and literally um, uh, visualize something on a desk and, and sort of have a conversation. And I've seen people have that conversation wearing those headsets and say, uh, what about that part of this uh, um, product? How can we fix that? Or maybe we should tweak that. And they're doing it all in real time without ever having to leave their offices and get on, get on a plane and maybe circle halfway around the planet with all of the um, energy and cost associated with that. Um, and again, some of the leading firms in the world, they're already utilizing this because this kind of um, virtual reality and the headsets are now built, ready and available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the last two years, uh, you know, a, a positive to come out of, of the last two years is the, the push that people had to adapt into technology and, and embrace it. And people that were maybe hesitant and reluctant and sitting on the sidelines beforehand. They had to make the jump and they realized that the tech is there. You know, obviously there's growth that's needed and an evolution that's going to happen in the tech, but the, the tech is there to do a, a lot of this stuff already. So uh, they, they didn't have to stay on the sidelines. They, they, they could jump in. The water was warm and it was, it was well worth swimming in. Hey, innovators, is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. 
There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, obviously COVID was a disaster in many ways, but it it also meant that people had to change, I would argue irreversibly, the way they, they work. And uh, some things are now here to stay. Um, I personally would spend so much time physically meeting people because that's what I what I only knew. That's sort of how we felt business was done. But yeah, during the last couple of years, um, so much more has been achieved. I'm not saying it's healthy to just sit behind the screen all day. Um, you know, I'm not saying that because uh, I think physical meeting Zoom fatigue and, is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Physical meeting. I, I, yeah, I think it is. I think I felt it some days. So. I think it, it's always a balance, isn't it? Because we're not machines either. Um, and I think we have to remember that. Um, but it's. It, it, I think the, 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 the sight of this sort of um, technology and the fact that people can transparently see information collectively like never before, it just, uh, if people want it, it unleashes so much more collab- collaboration um, potential. And the other day I was just... Um, speaking to a former panel supplier for example and we're just talking about sustainability and uh i I, I don't i don't know how much you you know about the formwork industry but what tends to happen is um a lot of the formwork suppliers will often lease or buy huge areas of land because formwork panels are pretty big things will with all of the different accessories that go with them and they tend to uh just store them they just store them on these sites, these vast sites, okay? And I've been quite a few of these sites, and they're just very big and very, you know, and sprawl in every direction. And customers, contractors will come along from time to time and basically procure or lease what they want from these formwork suppliers. And then when, once they're finished, all the stuff is then returned back to the site. And you have lots of different formwork suppliers who compete with each other and do exactly the same thing. But you know, you have now contractors who are, you know, in the interest of sustainability, um, asking um, formwork suppliers to see if they can work together and see rather than um, just storing the same products in different yards um, and just uh, occupying all that space, asking them whether they can work together and maybe um, store that same kit in one yard rather than multiples of the same kit which which doesn't get used which is no good for the environment which is which is occupying so much land as well and but it requires a new way of thinking um the 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 ability to sort of know through big data exactly what because the traditional argument was uh, they couldn't keep up with the inventory the stock management and so on well now that's actually that issue's gone away um and so the only thing that remains is whether people want to work that way um, because there is this livelihood question. Um, some people feel that that's how they make their livelihoods and the technology and the big data threatens that livelihood. Um, and so, um, and I guess at every 
point in human society whenever technological leaps have happened there there is always this um discussion about what what is going to happen to certain people's livelihoods and they, right well i i'd almost argue it from a different perspective in that it's i think we get stuck in the threatening livelihoods but it's it's really just threatening the mindset and i don't want to sound trite but it, it it's it's threatening the mindset shift that is required. You, you can't stay stuck in the, the old traditional mode. You have to adapt and, and adjust. And those uh, companies and, and individuals that are willing to adapt and adjust, they turn out just fine and do really well in the, the new environment when they are uh, you know, leaning into that, that kind of growth mindset where the people that get stuck in the, the fixed mindset, it's more of a struggle for them. And then, yeah, it does become more threatening to their livelihood in the end, if they're not willing to uh, adapt and, and see the the change coming and going, okay, well, how do I uh, adapt and maybe, you know, start working with people that I once considered my competitors? How do we come up with a, a new framework and a new model that is still beneficial to us? Yeah. Um, I would vouch for what you just said, Todd, through personal experience. And when I look back over the last 20, 25 years, um, there are some very um, useful companies that I've known that have fallen by the wayside. Um, and one of the key reasons is when change was coming, they felt that we're not ready for this um, or actually we'll just carry on. We'll be fine. It'll just blow over. And uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, some of that is powered by this uh, feeling of being threatened that actually this new change that's coming along, it's not going to do us any good because that's not how we work. Uh, therefore, mm -hmm. they don't change. Therefore, in the end, the change comes and it's too late to catch up. And so the company mm -hmm. dies. And I've seen that a few times in my career, which is a real shame. Um, rather than what the, you know, the question should be, the change is coming, how can we explore this change and how can we adapt to the change so actually we are fit for purpose for whatever's coming next. Um, so it is it is um, a mindset, uh, that change that's required really, um, rather than uh, a bury your head in the sand sort of moment, uh, which people unfortunately, still do. And the consequences also seem to be the same uh, in that those companies get left behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So leaning back into the sustainability side of things, what role can construction do to create a more sustainable industry? And what's the, the low-hanging fruit for people to, they want to take a step, they don't really know what to do. What should they do? Um, I think the the first thing about sustainability is that um, education is is quite important um, in the sense that I've known a lot of companies where sustainability doesn't leave the boardroom. So, you know, the people in charge will talk sustainability because their shareholders demand it or their financial backers are demanding it. So they will have the conversations. But that that uh, the implications of sustainability are, are then not rolled out through the, through the workforce, through all of the initiatives that are required uh, and driven. And champions, champions should be appointed at every level of an organization. This is not hard to do. This is just a case of 
where there's a will, it'll happen. And so uh, sustainability is something that needs to be lived uh, and breathed and, and not just talked about at the highest levels. So I think that's something that uh, companies can actually do very, very quickly, um, decide that they actually want to roll it through the organization. Secondly, I think it's also about um, understanding, but also broadcasting uh, how um, technology can actually save um, us so much work time and effort so much monotony so much repetitiveness um, because when you look carefully uh, there is technology in in most firms which is doing this every day of the week um, and yet people they're not losing their livelihoods it's not threatening them so i think it's important to broadcast that so more people understand that actually technology is here to help us and partner with us rather than something which isn't understood and therefore it's feared um, and also, I think a lot of larger companies, they have marketing departments as well. And the important thing, again, is this kind of efficient way of working, it does reduce waste, which in turn obviously helps with sustainability. Uh, quite often, that is actually happening, but not really being um, reported. It's just accepted that, yes, it's saving us um, X amount. But again, I think that needs to be broadcast and it needs to be um, promoted more, I think. Um, the other thing I would also say is that um, something I touched upon earlier, which I personally feel is, is quite topical, is that a lot of construction firms, when they tender um, and go for work, and also architects and engineers, when they're actually um, deciding on which uh, construction um, or which model to actually um, select uh, on site. The, the whole sustainability um, effect is now capable of being mapped out, mapped out at the very beginning of the project. And so I think that's something that's quite key as well now, that technology enables um, the, uh, people, construction firms, to actually understand the effect from a sustainable perspective, not just a cost perspective, which we've always done. You know, how much is a model going to cost us, right? We've always done that. Um, now we can do that with um, carbon capture and sustainability as well. So that, again, um, needs to be implemented. And more and more companies are doing that already. Um, I also think um, new smart methods of construction are, are, are quite key as well for companies, especially in the UK. We have this tradition where when something new comes along, <laughs> Uh, people are very conservative. They don't tend to adapt it because they worry whether it's going to work or not. Um, I, I think it's an English culture thing. But um, if I give you an example, um, you've got something called self-healing concrete now, uh, which has been invented. Um, and I've spent many years of my life um, handling and dealing with concrete companies. But then when you think about something like self-healing concrete, and you also understand that after water, I don't know whether you know this, Todd, but after water, concrete is the most widely used substance on the planet. I had heard that, which is and that kind of crazy. Isn't that all? <laughs> isn't that awesome? That if you could just do little things with something like concrete um, to make it more efficient or more sustainable, that the um, the implications for the, for the planet and for energy use and for global warming is it could be huge because yeah. concrete obviously has cement going in and a lot of these. Um, 
um, along, a lot of these components that make concrete are very, very energy intensive. And the fact that you've now got something like self-healing concrete uh, means that there's less likelihood, wherever that is used, that your concrete is going to develop cracks. And by the way, the way it works is when cracks develop, as they inevit inevitably do in concrete after a, a length of time, um, the day comes when you've got to dig it all out and start again. Or if it's a building, demolish it, it demolish the building and start over. Okay, which isn't a, you know it's not very sustainable. <laughs> I mean to rebuild all the time. So right. something like self-healing concrete means that the cracks are actually um, well they call it healing but they repair themselves the technology is really really clever and it's a combination of various gels and bacteria and would you believe it the, the scientists have actually developed a bacteria which actually helps it heal and that's cool yeah it's like you come up we come up with these amazing things and so so therefore again firms need to latch on to these sort of um new products uh, much more than they do especially over here in the uk i, I can't talk about other parts of the world but um, the us is the same way we're slow to adapt yeah yeah this kind of stuff needs to be uh, embraced much more uh, r rather than uh, waiting for decades before they adopt i don't think we've got decades by the way now the way the environment is going i think we've got to be much bolder and, and move much faster uh, in terms of innovating mm -hmm. and then adopting um, these kind of materials and technologies. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of truth there for sure. <laughs> uh, so if, if I could give you all power and you could innovate one aspect of construction, what would it be? Oh, blimey. Uh, innovate one aspect of construction. I, th For me, the holy grail is I don't know whether this is going to answer it, but I'm, I'm thinking aloud now. The holy grail for me is getting all stakeholders to collaborate and work together uh, from the outset of a project. Um, not the way they do it today, which is they, they're dragged kicking and screaming to the table. Um, if you have seven, seven stakeholders within a project life cycle, you might have two that work together, or maybe three, and then the others are all introduced um, to the table one after the other as required, which is the traditional way of working. But so many, um, so many mistakes are made along the way. So so much is actually um, done the wrong way as a result because people aren't communicating effectively enough at the right time or at the right moment in the construction process. And so you find things like rework happens, waste happens inefficiency happens people look back and go well if you informed me of that part of the process at that point in time then maybe i would have done it differently and you have the same conversation over and over again and for me it's it's like if i had a magic wand and you know if i wanted to change something it would be um creating technology which actually enables people to collaborate from day one okay and one of the reasons one of the reasons they don't collaborate is they don't, uh, not all stakeholders understand the technology that's available to help them collaborate. So that's point number one. How do we, when do we get to that point where people naturally understand that this is how we can work and talk together and exchange our ideas? So that's something I've often thought about, okay? Uh, and, and number two, it's a case of 
if that's what, how we want them to operate, how can they be encouraged to actually operate in that manner? And, and, and which agencies can make that happen? Is, it, is that the job of the, the client, the person who actually wants the, the skyscraper built, for example? Is it the government that wants the, the new railway, railway built? Um, because uh, you, you've heard of the term push and pull, haven't you? So I think that's what's required. People need to be pulled a little bit and also pushed a little bit to come together um, because the technology can't do it on its own. And until people learn to work in this way, uh, I fear that some of the great promise of the technology is, is never really going to be realized quickly enough. I think everything catches up in the end, but I just feel the clock is ticking and we can't just leave it to uh, people to just take their time on this anymore. And this is why governments all over the world are setting targets now as well. Like, for for example, net zero um, in the UK, I think it was 2050, but then the government pulled it forward to 2035 maybe because people are realizing that actually um, the climate won't wait for us and you know, we have to become more sustainable and we have to learn to work differently in the world of construction. I don't know whether that answers your question there, Todd, but that's sort of... I, I think that's a, a brilliant answer, honestly. Uh, the, uh, you know, I have a, a passion for down with silos. <laughs> and what the, you know, your, your answer of really getting people to communicate better on the, the front side, it sounds like such a simple step, but it is probably one of the hardest steps for the construction industry to, to take. And there's a lot of factors in there, some of which you, you laid out there. But uh, if we could change that one aspect and just get people around the table on the front side, it would solve so many issues along the way and so many hurdles that people complain about all the time. You know, back to um, Einstein's definition of insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh, that's where the construction industry is. So if you change that mindset again, you change a lot of things down the line from that, that, that stem off of that. So that's, I mean, that's a huge thing to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, that, um, in the world of construction, we've spawned the whole industry, uh, around the disputes that happen because of the way people work. <laughs> right. It's like, right. it, it, it's madness. Like how well, inefficient. You go in expecting everybody to mess up. <laughs> exactly. It's like, how inefficient is, is that? And I've met so many of these companies and it's like they turn over huge amounts of cash just to resolve what should have been taken care of if things were done properly. And it, it just, right. uh, the mind just boggles that how long can this continue like this? It's, it, you know, it's the opposite of efficiency. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, how do people find out more information about Advanced Workshop, Great Tech, and connect with you? Um, well, uh, as far as Advanced Workshop is concerned, clearly um, we have uh, our website, which um, explains quite a little bit about the Advanced Workshop system, which is a manufacturing ex execution system, um, which is aimed at the uh, fabrication industry. Okay, And by fabrication industry, we're talking about uh, the rebar fabricators. We're talking about the steel fabricators and precast fabricators. And I think, again, it's a case of all the people that we deal with, we know a lot of them work in traditional ways, in old-fashioned ways, in inefficient ways. And as a result, they uh, encounter a whole heap of problems. 
uh, and our mission is to actually um, outline to people that look through automation and we're not talking full AI enabled robotics that sort of you know a big leap we're just talking about automating data flows uh, around your factory and getting the machines to do a little bit more than what your operatives are doing so to make things a little bit safer make things a little bit more efficient and as a result reduce rework um, make sure that your customers get their product on time because it's automated so it's more reliable uh, and just increase efficiencies in, in the office and in the factory um, by a number of percentage points and ultimately the message we're getting to uh, these um, rebar factories is that investing in this kind of uh, technology will only make you a more um, efficient firm, which translates into all kinds of benefits, such as um, you think a happier workforce, right? And ultimately um, more customer orders and therefore more profitability. Um, mm. Obviously, yeah. I've sort of tried to condense uh, what could be a half hour presentation into 60 seconds, <laughs> but you sort of get the gist that that's sort of our mission with uh, something like Advanced Workshop, uh, which is um, affectionately called an MES system, Manufacturing execu Execution System. And obviously, there's a lot more information that we share with our con with our prospects and customers and the industry in general. Um, with regard to how the little role this solution plays in pushing the technology envelope that little bit further for people and make their lives easier. Yeah. Awesome. Well, final question for you. What does innovation mean to you? Innovation to me means um, having an open mindset and expecting that things will change. Uh, not waiting for things to change, but knowing that they will change. And um, knowing that my role in that uh, timeline is how will I uh, embrace that change? And how will I be able to work with that change in a way which actually helps me personally, but also the people that I work with um, uh, in, a, in a positive manner. So for me, it's life is all about change and it, it's it, it's about welcoming that innovation in fact if there was no innovation the world would be a pretty boring place it would be <laughs> yeah i love that expecting things to, <laughs> to change criteria and that, that was awesome well ishmael thanks so much for taking the time and joining the show i look forward to future conversations no problem todd thanks for your company today really enjoyed that and um, yeah, I hope to see you very soon. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, playing off of last week's episode around adjusting our mindset to see the gains in change. I like how Ishmael said that more often than not, it is not fear that distorts the potential of technology, but a lack of understanding. That is so true. Technology should be viewed as filling in the limitations of humans, not overtaking them. Second take. Another great point from the conversation was asking the question, is sustainability leaving the boardroom? 
Are you effectively communicating throughout your organization the implications of sustainability, or are you keeping those conversations in a small group? I believe we as a construction industry need to work together more to reimagine how we do things that reduce waste, make construction more efficient, and make it better for the environment. And finally, I really liked Ishmael how he said, innovation is expecting things will change. It is not a matter of if things change, it is simply when things will change. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.